Welcome, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. Say hi. Give me an email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or just go to the website, aaronsgunshop.com. Be part of the show. we got lots going on. Now, I've got attorney Benton Ross Watson sitting next to me, and i got Trey in front of me, and we're going to have a great show. So let me tell you what's coming up on the show today. Today's show highlights. We're going to once again do true stories of self-defense. After that, we're going to have attorney Benton Ross Watson talking about the jury and what it takes to get one and how sometimes, you know, Everybody not, may not be on your side, so we want to make sure we understand how the process works. It's just one of those things you can think about before you pull the trigger and say, do I really want to take a chance when it comes to a jury? After that, we're going to go to a topic of interest and tell you what's coming up. Today's product spotlight, brought to you by ANC Firearms and Heidenhammer, is the Mosin Nagant rifle. In this particular segment, I'm going to read about the Mosin 44 but there's uh, like three different variants. There's a 9130, the 38, and the 44. So I'll touch on all those. But it's a beautiful weapon. It's a, a blend of metal and wood in a beautiful art form. So we'll talk about that at the product spotlight. So we got a lot going on. Let's start it off by reading our true stories of self-defense. And this one's coming out of the most current issue of the American Rifleman. Four would-be kidnappers' plans were thwarted when a father fired three rounds to scare off the troublemakers before they snatched his daughter. The father was alerted by dogs barking and motion detector lights going on. He noticed a gang of males lurking near the garage, trying to get inside his home. As the bullets flew, the suspects fled. When they were arrested later, the police found guns, knives, gloves, dark clothes, and a roll of tape in the vehicle. Apparently, the man's 17-year-old daughter was the kidnapper's target. My commentary... If I had a daughter, I would not have wasted three rounds to scare off these would-be kidnappers. I would have made sure I got my money's worth out of those bullets when it came to my daughter or any member of my family. Ammo is too expensive. Don't waste it. Okay, now. This one is a story by Catherine Lamb of Fox News. You've probably seen this online. This is why it's so important for those of you who are licensed to carry and carry the gun on you all the time and are out there on the road to be proficient with your firearm and be ready for whatever comes. Man carrying a concealed pistol stops attack on Utah police officer. A Utah police officer who was being attacked on Friday was saved by a passerby with a concealed pistol, officer said. The unidentified police officer confronted the attacker, identified as Paul Douglas Anderson, after spotting feet dangling from a donation bin in Springville. Anderson got out of the bin but refused to remove his hands from his pockets. The officer ordered Anderson to remove his hands out of his pockets. Anderson eventually took his hands out of his pants pocket and began repeatedly punching the officer in the face. Derek Meyer told Fox 13 he was driving by the area when he spotted the police lights and saw Anderson attacking the cop. Meyer turned around and pulled out his pistol. Derek Meyer sprang into action after he saw Douglas, Paul Douglas Anderson attacking the police officer in Utah. I carry a gun to protect me and those around me, but primarily I carry a gun to protect my family first and foremost. Meyer has a concealed carry permit. Outside of that, if I were to use my gun to protect anyone, it would be law enforcement or military personnel. Meyer aimed the pistol at Anderson and yelled at him to stop attacking the officer. Anderson bolted from the scene as responding officers arrived. The attacker, who was found hiding under a flatbed trailer, was arrested and faces several charges. The officer suffered a fractured eye socket and lacerations around the eye. Man. 
Springfield Police um, Corporal Corey Waters says, Myers' quick action helped save the officer's life. Had he not been in the right place at the right time, who knows what would have happened, Waters said. But he definitely stopped the attack from continuing and becoming much worse. He might have even saved either one of their lives. It could have gone really bad, even for the suspect. Myers said he stepped in because it was his nature, he added. I didn't do it to get any extra attention or to have people talk about me or anything I did, he told the news. Meyer added that he's sharing his story because there aren't enough good stories from responsible gun-owning people. The officer was released from the hospital and expected to be okay. I thought that was pretty cool. I always tell the officers around here and the deputies you know, who know me and we have a relationship in the sense of communication, if they got my number. If I'm around and I see it, uh, I'm right there for you. I back up law enforcement. Yeah, I gripe about them sometimes. The bottom line is, um, anything happens and I'm around, I'm there to cover your six. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. We're here live here, and sitting to the left of me is uh, Super Attorney. No, oh, that's Rick. I'm screwing up. You see, I'm not running right. Is Attorney Extraordinaire Benton Ross Watson? Yeah, no, Rick. So I think we were we were just eating dinner. Over his head. He, just has all, he has all this, all this just random information. We were talking about some kind of Chinese pug or something. He's like, yeah, well, back in 1893, that's when it all started. And so I should call and, maybe yeah. him also the epitome. He's got, of some, yeah, he's got some kind of okay. superhuman skill when it comes to useless information too. So. <laughs> well, this segment's being sponsored by uh, Coppolino Dodd Krebs Law Firm, and um, we can't thank him enough. And we always get to get you on here, and sometimes we're uh, blessed to have you both on. But right now, today, I wanted to talk to you about the jury selection and how it works and how it can make or break a case for somebody. Because let me let me say this: we don't we don't talk about all this legal stuff, especially when we get to the jury, because we expect people with an LTC to kill somebody or something like that, or that or that you know it's expected, or that you know this is going to happen. What we're doing is trying to educate you on why you want to be responsible with your firearm and why you want to know how to use it and why you want to know the situations and when it's a good time to use it and when it's a good time to retreat or run because you don't want to be in these situations unless it is an absolute necessity. Right. I mean, you may... I want to back him up by saying you may do something and it may be okay, but you're going to have to possibly go through a whole bunch of hoops before you you get off of it. So in other words, the ride isn't free. But if you know all this stuff that... Rick and Ross here explain and we talk about and it's in your head and you've worked it out and you've practiced it and you go to yourself I could probably wait one more second I might not have to do this it'll avoid a whole bunch of problems right exactly okay. you, you'll be you'll be more um, efficient in your use and you'll be more responsible in your use and so that's the whole point of all that's this. a good way to put and it so um, uh, talking about jury perception um, just uh, I think I want to tell I'm gonna call James Burks out. He always has a good story that I like that he likes to tell. He's talking. They had jury trial one time over here, and John Reddington, he's been on the show, uh, was was out there, and I think Jimmy Morgan was in the case, and James Burks stood. They said, "Does anybody know Jimmy Morgan?" And James Burks says, "I know Jimmy. If man, if, he, if he's arrested, him, then he must be guilty." <laughs> oh, so of course, of course, that just of course James a whole bunch of people. Man, of course, James is trying to get out of it. You know. <laughs> Of course, he was trying to get out. I mean, Mr. Burks, excuse me, not James, excuse me. Mr. Burks was trying to get out of the uh, the uh, jury duty. But, you know, so that's a lot of the times what these jurors are trying to do, which makes it really hard to know who you're picking and what you're getting. And it makes it really hard to communicate with everybody because, you know, 
they're not wanting to be open with you and honest. And so uh, I can say it, you can say that you want a certain type of juror and you can say that these jurors are the best or you can say that you want you want to deselect these kinds of jurors. But the bottom line is there's always an element of luck when it goes into picking a jury and bad luck, bad luck, bad luck, sometimes good luck, sometimes okay. good luck. But my point is, is not everybody's going to cooperate. Not everybody's going to be open and you don't really have that much time. You only, I mean, in some cases like a DWI case like that one that I was saying or some kind of, you know, misdemeanor case, you're only going to have about 15, 20 minutes to talk to 60 people. I was on a jury um, selection one time and actually Rick was one of the attorneys talking. They're asking all sorts of questions and, um, they ask questions in a way it's almost like you're the one on the stand who is being tried because they want to make Rick sure is do, Rick does Rick is kind of mean right I didn't say that he's a, Rick's a little Rick's really aggressive so Rick has a has a, a more modern style he'll, he'll even tell you tell you that he'll talk to you about it I, I wish he had been on the show today he, he has a style of, of jury selection he has a bunch of thoughts about jury selection that are really really very interesting and a, and a little bit different than a lot of people so I'm sorry to interrupt you. He's just different. He's is a little bit I different. T- I take you as a Mack truck hitting somebody head on. I take Rick as a guy who comes from behind you and slits your throat with the, with the tactics. He's very knowledgeable, experienced, sly. Not, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that he knows. He's. We've talked. He said, I've been doing this. I've had it done to me. And now I know which buttons to push. So he's very able and good to get information that is needed to get out there in ways that somebody might not normally give it up before. How about calling him tactically adept, strategically adept instead of sly? Okay, sure. Yeah. No. There's no offense by that. Oh, I mean, I, I mean that, that is a lot of it, too. I mean, there's there's a lot of strategy that, that goes goes into play. I think some of it is our, just our personality. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm not going to be prepared to know exactly what questions I need to ask from a strategical standpoint, right? But this is my personality, and when it comes to trial work, you can't avoid your personality. Um, if you try to be somebody you're not, you, it's just it's not going to work. Not going to work in anything. That's and right. so that's we, his his personality and my personality are nothing. We're 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 not. I mean, we get along great. We have a lot in common, but we don't. Our personalities are not even close to the, to to the same. We're totally dissimilar. And so I'm sure he's got a different, but it. I feel like he's a little more he's a little more rough. I'm a little more straightforward, I think, but I don't say it as callous. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I hear it. See, he asks some pretty direct I mean he asks some pretty direct questions pretty directly. I think he does that because he knows he's summed up the individual he's talking with and if you know personality because we talked about this, if you know personalities and you can figure that out real quick on people just with their body, you know, their mannerisms. If you say certain things, you have a good chance that they're going to respond a certain way, which is going to open up the door to ask other questions in the right direction to get the results that you want. That's that's true, but that's why I try to build a little bit of a rapport first. So no, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't. He's a he's a he's a likable attorney. I don't, I, I don't think there's any way that I could I could ask the questions in such a way. And we're talking nobody can hear. Him, so it's kind of it's kind well, of Rick, pointless. If you're listening, give us it's, a call. It's kind of point. It's kind of pointless to sit here and do the comparison unless they can hear it and understand what we're talking about. But there's, I don't think there's any way I could do what he did. I'm not really sure that he could probably do what I do. It just wouldn't work. I it's think. just the way it works, man. Right? And so, so I mean, to to say, um, I, I said a while ago, like who you're picking. No, wait, wait. Let's clarify why we even brought this up because in the in the jury process, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. So the reason we talked about the comparison is sometimes depending on who the attorney is picking the the juror, it right. depends on how it's going to. And that goes into play about 
who you want on your jury too because a, a valid reason not to get somebody on the jury is if there's a personality conflict between the juror and the lawyer and i have had at least three jurors just for some reason they just they didn't want nothing to do with me and one was a traffic ticket case so i understand i understand ma'am right <laughs> but uh, i'll never forget that when she was probably the meanest okay but uh, the other ones yeah i mean sometimes they just oh you're a scumbag defense lawyer I'm, you, you're just a scumbag so and you know the media does such a great job of making criminal defense lawyers look just terrible and then you know you do a personal injury case and the corporations have done such a good job about putting it in the media that all we're out is for the money and so in both those cases it was just like those people i don't like i don't like lawyers especially ones like you and you, know, I mean, you never met me <laughs> okay but so you're, you're those are, are valid reasons to get rid of somebody um and you, you, it's called what's called voir dire, so it's jury selection. But I, I, I think a lot of jury experts would tell you that it's not so much jury selection as it is jury deselection. A lot of times what we're trying to do is get rid of people who would be unfair. Now, they always talk about this, it being deselection, but then they'll talk about the, the exact kind of jurors that they want. So, I mean, sometimes, yeah, you're going to try to fight for somebody if you think you've got an actual shot. To get that person, you're going to try to calculate based on the fact that you want this person. But, yeah, it's really you want to get rid of people that are going to hurt you. And so that's what the focus is going to be because you want an impartial jury. But really, a guy I used to work with tried a bunch of trials with. I had a bunch of trial cases. Clyde W. Chandler, he's passed away now. He used to go in there and say, I'm not trying. I'm not looking for an impartial jury. I'm looking for a jury who's going to listen to what I got to say. Oh. I don't want a jury who's going to take my side of the table, right? And he used to say it all the time, it's, and it's honest, and I, I loved it. I loved it. I think it came across well. I think people understood what the point is, that the state is going to try to deselect as many people they want so that they get the people that listen to their side. side and right. so Clyde wanted to get as many people on there as he could to listen to his side, to make it a fair, a fair trial. He's and just so, saying what's totally obvious anyway. So right, it's the elephant in the room, and it's just he's actually saying. And so, it. so I, I I love that aspect, and there there is some truth to that. But at the same time, we definitely want to get rid of the anti-gun activist. I right, did a self-defense case, and I can tell you these things are not always apparent. And so, I, I mean, I even had a recent case. I obviously can't talk about it. it's confidential information, privilege information, but I'm I'm going around trying to see what the likelihood of winning a trial in this case. I really wanted to try it so bad. I wanted to. I mean. I just couldn't even sleep because I wanted to try the case so bad, and I, I thought it was unfair. The district attorney's office here in Milam County was a little overzealous, I think, in this case, right? And I really wanted to go after it. And so, I mean, we have great people in the district attorney's office. I don't. I think there was some pressure coming from outside sources, and so I, it was just a situation. It was a bad factual situation all around, and so. But then I start t looking around, you know, and I start asking folks, you know, and I'm asking people that I feel like are totally on my side that have always been very uh, conservative physically, but socially liberal. Mm -hmm. OK, and that this would be this is, this is a great person to start off with. And I got a completely just response that was out, out of left field and sided with the state. And so I go. Well, maybe the state's not being so overzealous. Okay, and so, I mean, that's when you start to really 
question like, man, can I win this case? And, and what are my jurors? When you don't even know who your jurors are going to be. And then, so then I'd pick a person and I thought, oh, they're going to say, I'm going to lose. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. And I'd call them in, say, come look at this video for me, see what you think. And they'd come in and go, is that even a crime? And then you're just like, what? What is going on here? And so, you, you I, I mean, sometimes what I'm, my point is, sometimes g- trying to figure out the merits of a case, and that's what I'm saying. I'm sitting here calling the state overzealous, even though I do think it was, I do think it was a little bit, a little bit overzealous still. But I'm sitting here thinking, man, this is way out of line. This is this is, this is unfair, like totally. And then I'm getting all these mixed emotions from people. And it, it st- you start to see like how many different views you can have when you talk about people. It, I hear this a lot about how when the jury is selected, they are told they can only uh, judge on a couple of different things. Uh, the judge will present to them what they have to give an opinion on or help me with the terminology. But it, they're given just one or two things. And it, but all of a sudden, when those one or two things aren't even discussed and they come up with an emotional outcome as compared to was it yes or no was it a or b they come up with something totally awful what the judges asked i hear this a lot can you can you uh, emphasize on that well you're gonna have a jury charge at the end so the judge doesn't ask any question i mean he reads the jury charge but there's gonna be and that's what a good trial lawyer is gonna do they're gonna look at the jury charge from the very beginning of the case and they're gonna look at it from a jury trial standpoint can i win this case right if you're talking about a criminal defense side you're going to see, can I win this case? If not, I'm going straight to the DA and trying to get this worked out as soon as possible. Right? If it's a gray area, maybe you got some strategic moves you want to make first, maybe to put some pressure on them, maybe to stall, I don't know, whatever whatever it is you want to do. Those come into play from a civil standpoint. You're, you're not taking the case, right, unless th- there's a chance of success. I mean, Rick will tell you right off the bat, you, you, unless the case is, is worth something looking at the jury charge right at the get-go, Right, then you're not going to invest a bunch of money like he would do. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, those are the questions that the jury has to answer, to answer your question. And do they answer that question based on things that are not evidence, that didn't come in? Yes, so research shows that at least 50% of the juries decide the cases based on their own personal experiences, and that's what they discuss within the deliberations they don't discuss the case so it's almost as though the case was uh worthless because they've got the bullet points in their head and based on what you just said it's like that it's like bullet points it's like so well you know you know the person approaching well i remember my husband did this one time and so and then this is how we handled that i I just think this was wrong and then so he said yeah we had the same situation and so you might they might even consider the evidence i mean that's how about research shows anyway we we don't know what goes on Though to be honest, and it, well, don't you know, they talk about it after the case? Sometimes you hear. Sometimes they do, yeah. Sometimes they do. Are you allowed they do. to do that? Is that yeah, is we are. Yeah. Yeah. I do that every case. I try to go up to people and say, "What did I do wrong? Can't tell me how to get better. What, what can I do?" Uh, so it's been helpful in some cases, and some people are just ugly and they don't, they don't talk to you at all, and it's just like. I mean, some of them are are like they'll go oh, talk. Sure. To, they'll go talk to the not if you don't want to talk to anybody, it's fine. I can imagine, but they'll, they'll go talk to the other lawyer. And they'll just look at you like, you scumbag. Why do you not like me? I'm just doing my job. Like, why do you, I mean. Well, don't well, they worry about repercussions coming back to them if they said that they voted to put somebody in incarceration for life? Don't they worry about, they, they want to stay kind of hidden as to what my thoughts were and how I voted for it so I don't have these I mean, family members coming and get me? There are some people like that, but you'd be surprised. I mean, jurors love talking. I mean, especially in a not guilty case. I, th- I feel like 
when it's a not guilty case, boy, they love talking about it. They feel like they help liberate. Or they, I think they just, they just feel like this wasn't a good case, and they, and they, they love talking to the prosecutors too. They say, look, you guys did a great job. It just, this is what the one thing was, and then the prosecutors go, oh hey, but you didn't know. He also had 10 other felony convictions that we couldn't bring in. And then Why the jurors, can't they do that? And then the, the jurors will go, oh, oh man. <laughs> See, that's what I don't get. Why can't you bring in all the information? Why it's some and who decides and how is it Because they with- would decide it on those 10 felony convictions as opposed to what the actual evidence was in the case. Right? And it's very it's very valid in some situations. I mean, it's, it's been a very uh, good rule. In some situations. And look, so man, somebody, look, judges let in stuff, <laughs> a lot of stuff, so... Wow. I mean, they let in a lot of stuff. I mean, very. I mean, I would say a lot of times, most of the harmful stuff, you know, it comes in. You know, it's really that irrelevant. So I mean, there's been a couple situations though where, you know, really, really harmful stuff. It was like just prejudicial. Okay, so here you've got a person <laughs> that going to court, and now you got to worry about you got to worry about the jury. Now you got to worry about the judge's opinion. And what he's oh, exactly. Oh yeah, the judge can control the outcome of the trial. Okay, sure. so we're here talking on the radio right now because I wanted people to understand when you're out there whether you got a license to carry or not, and something happens, and let's just let's just talk the self defense realm. And for some reason, self defense is. I wanted to talk about this. So self defense is kind of a rare, a, a strange beast, right? So a lot of times you don't want people that are real security oriented, right, on your jury, and you don't want crime victims. On your think about it. If it's a robbery case, you don't want a robbery victim on your jury. No, of course not. No. Okay, I mean, but it's the same concept. You don't usually want crime victims. That's why you use the first question to ask. In a self defense case, I might even be okay with having law enforcement on the jury. I guess it depends on the merits of the case. It, it does. It, it does. It does. Every case is different. Goes to the facts. But in a self defense case, you have this. You have this switch. The the the, the case. The 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 roles switch because. The defendant is not really a defendant, right? The defendant is saying he's a victim. Mm-hmm. And he's saying the victim is the defendant because the, the the victim would be a defendant but for his death. Okay? Or but for, uh, he, you know, the actual victim got the better of him. When I say actual victim, I mean the defendant in, mm-hmm. the, in this being tried. Right? And he's throwing up the self-defense claim. Okay? And so... You you get you get a, a crime victim to come in and say, yeah, I, it, you know, had I been trained and I I knew how to use my firearm, I would have used it on that sob who attacked us, you know, five years ago, mm-hmm. right? And so they understand, and, and they can see it, and they can see it, they can they, they can really feel it from, right, this person's shoes, this defendant's shoes, okay? And so I mean, a lot of times those are the people you want when you would never want those people on a jury and you would never even consider law enforcement right but it may be because law enforcement would use a weapon if somebody threatened them sure and so law enforcement is going to understand that too and i think uh, anybody that security is is concerned with security is going to understand what you don't want is like i said uh somebody that's got a hidden agenda like they're an anti-gun activist they want to and and they're not going to want to reveal that to you they're not going to want to reveal that to you when you talk to them in jury selection or deselection however you look at it and so they're going to get on this jury and they're going to act like they're silent and a follower and you think they're not a big deal. And then they're going to get in there and they're going to try to sway everybody. Right. And those are the people that really concern concern me because you can't get this out and they do have this hidden agenda. Another one 
that I worry about, and they don't do, always do it intentionally, is what's called the motive jury. Uh, Richard Gabriel has done like the O.J. Simpson, uh, did the girl down in Florida, the big case down there. Uh, Casey Anthony mm-hmm. case did a, another major case. He's, he's a jury selection expert, right? He comes up with all these names and stuff, but he's got. So you got uh, like a like a motive juror, and what they'll do is they'll listen to the state story or the first story that they hear, okay, and sort of get involved in that narrative, and then seek to prove that out through the rest of the case. That makes sense. They'll get hooked in that narrative, and they'll think that's it, and that's they'll it, try yeah. and they'll try to justify that narrative all the way through mm-hmm. the case. Right. Okay. And then there's another one. You have the presumption of guilt juror, who's always a problem for a criminal defense lawyer because they're going to think how could you say presumption of guilt how can you do that it's either you're guilty or you're not guilty how, how, you're you're the rule is you're not guilty until proven doesn't seem that way in many cases but okay unless proven excuse me okay unless all right and so um this way the people though have an opposite presumption they presume that you're guilty because they say well they wouldn't be trying the case if he was innocent right right and so that's always a problem and so you're always going to have these people coming in and prejudging. And people say that, I mean, most people, I, I figure, I feel like a lot of folks are honest about that. They come in and, you know, when we ask them, how many feel like since he's sitting here today that he probably did something he's guilty of? I mean, I mean, you get half the hands in the room. Man, we're all guilty of something, aren't we? Right. And so, I mean, that's that's true. But, I mean, they always raise their How many of you guys think he did this crime already? Like you've already made your mind up. I mean, they'll they'll raise your hand, and that's not a good question. We still have to we still have to go into it, and so, I you know that's not enough to get those people struck out for cause that they'll say we can still follow the law. But you know they, it shows they come in with a leaning or bias, and it's it's a lot of folks a lot you know, of time. A few shows ago, probably more than that, you were on here and you made a comment about you know when it t- time comes, don't think about anything, just do it. Okay, and um, you're right. I didn't like the terminology, and we cleaned it up a little bit. But it's right. So what, what I'm bringing that up for is this reason. What is the, what is the terminology? I'd, I'd, I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried, carried by, by six. six. Yeah. But what I was getting at was, you want to study your law, you want to do your training, you want to do everything you possibly can to prepare yourself, mentally, physically, the whole works. Um. And you've got to, you being everybody listening and us, you've got to have that line in the sand. There's got to be a line in the sand where you go, I don't care the rationality yeah. of it. I don't care the legal part. of. It, I don't care anything. I know a man's got to know his limitations, as Clint would say, right? I know at a certain point it's beyond what I can do. And my last defense is, I don't know, and pulling your gun out, taking a shot, doing whatever you got to do. Your, your head's going under the bow of the boat. Because... If you do something before that line and because you weren't trained enough or mentally prepared enough and you do something, then you come into play and you, well, let me finish my thought. And and you got to deal with everything we just talked about. The judge, getting a good attorney, getting a good jury, um, what's going to be, what kind of charges are going to be brought up against you because you didn't wait to that line because of lack of preparedness. That's oh, that's a good point. So I mean, and that's why I said that's where the issue is going to come in. You're going to have different people have different views about what's reasonable, about what was immediate, about what was a reasonable use, and that's why I would, that's why the presumption, right, that it was immediate and reasonable. Okay, if they're coming in your house or about to come in, attempting to, or coming in a vehicle or in your office. Okay, that's why those presumptions are so important because you can't be charged. 
Okay, you're not going to be in this situation. It's when you're out on the street and you're not you're not in your home or you're not in a place where the law protects you absolutely uh, to use this kind of force. Then it, that's where the the line's going to be. Or it's going to be a drawn in a different spot depending on which person you ask. Well, that's right. Depending on who you are, your line will be different. That's exactly. why. I, that's why I say you. I can't tell you the line. I can't tell you when to do this. I can only tell you um, best methods of a, deploying a weapon or how to accurately shoot the weapon or what the law says. But I cannot tell you when to shoot that gun. So you may have some petite young lady whose line in the sand is two feet away from her, and then um, you got this big hulk of a guy and his line's ten feet away. Oh yeah, we've talked about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So it's all perception. Exactly. Perception of threat, pot. I think uh, I at least wanted to get out there before I go. Defense lawyers do not try to stack. This is a bad myth, and it's actually sometimes opposite. Do not try to stack juries with stupid, gullible people. In fact, and especially I always say the state always says we try to do this in forensic cases. No, every forensic case I've had, I've, I've wanted, I've wanted intelligent people because I want to. I, when I cross-examine these experts. Right, and I show that they're stupid. Right, I want the jury to see that, and if they're not smart enough to pick up on my questioning, they're not going to understand the points that I'm making. And so to say I'm I want stupid gullible people is absolutely I- incorrect. Now, I mean, I'm sure that's some that's true in some cases, but find, that's true for both sides. Do, both sides need gullible juries sometimes. Do you find experts at times get the spotlight and they want to just? Uh, oh, they definitely get the spotlight. There's been all kinds of studies showing that the juries just. Believe whatever they say because they got the key expert, or they wrote a book yeah, or something, right? Right, and and there's junk science. I mean, there's junk science out there everywhere. How do you clarify that? How would you know it's junk science as compared to not being junk? Right science? now, the the standards are super weak. But I mean, I mean, it, basically anything's coming in now. It used to be very strong. You used to have to get this down, except maybe Rick's always talking about. And a lot of his med malpractice cases, obviously, you know, the legislature. There's some a lot of hurdles to go over, and the judges aren't very friendly. In those kinds of cases, especially you're talking about professionals you're suing sometimes, and so people don't like those. So the standards in those kinds of cases are very difficult, right? For you know, people personal injury attorneys to get because the, the system's unfavorable to them. Mm-hmm. Any other time, these these standards really are easy to get. If, if if the other person really wants it in and is you know got enough evidence, it's going to come in. And so the way you do it is through good, great cross examination. I got a question. It's a little side question here. How do some people constantly get jury selection and others almost never get it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. It is. I'm sure a lot of people get it. Uh, I'm getting that time sign. Okay, thanks, Trey. Recap it. Give me a recap, 30-second recap, and then tell us who you are and where you're at and how they can get a hold of you. You know, just be responsible in your weapon use because jury selection is based on luck, and it is going to take a good lawyer to to, to be efficient proficient at picking a a jury so you're gonna have to pay a lot of money in the end anyway and you're gonna have a lot of worry about whether or not you're being judged fairly do you feel the attitude towards guns is different because look at all the states now letting um concealed carry open carry that's uh, what i told you i just talked to this guy i mean it's a guy i thought 100 percent is gonna be on my side and i'm talking to him i show him the tape all of a sudden like i felt bad because i was judging the, the district attorney's office here right and so i mean it's Hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. Okay.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. In this segment here, we got the product spotlight brought to you by ANC Firearms in Heidenhammer. Arch Kuntz is the owner, and he's an awesome guy. He's got a great shop there. He's got pistols, rifles, shotguns, ammo, knives, accessories, holsters, all sorts of stuff. And they'll be more than happy to get you what you need if they don't have it there in the shop. Now, I've been talking with Arch, and I've been telling him, you know, there's a lot of people around here who love surplus weapons. And last week, we talked about the Takarov pistol. These are, these are quality, well-built guns that governments have spent millions of dollars on to test them out, to make sure they work. And so you've got battle-proven weapons. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Mosin-Nagant rifle. And there's three different variants. You've got the 9130. That was the original one. That's the real long one. And you have the Model 38. That was the shorter version, I think, meant for select personnel. And then you had the Model 44. What happened was, I'm going to read an article here from Guns.com by um, Evan Duffy. He pretty much breaks it down pretty good, but I'm giving you a precursor to it. The Model 44, the Russians figured out with Stalingrad going street to street that they needed a rifle that was more conducive for that type of fighting and also for long-range shooting. So they made it a, a common rifle for the common soldier to have the shorter version, the carbine version, as compared to having the long one. So let me read to you this article from Guns.com, Evan Duffy, about the Mosin-Nagant rifle. Now, I got, I'm talking about the Model 44 specifically in this article, and if you looked at the picture on Facebook, Aaron'sGunShop.com, or the Facebook page there, the rifle that I'm holding is actually the Model 38 the Model 38 does not have a bayonet or a way to attach a bayonet. The Model 9130 had a detachable magazine, uh, not a magazine, but bayonet. And you put it on, you twisted it, and it locked into place. The 44, however, has a built-in bayonet that swings out into position. So we're going to be talking about the Mosin-Nagant Model 44, but in reality, it almost talks about all three different versions. So here we go with Evan Duffy's article. The title of brush gun is not one bestowed upon any but the handiest of carbines. Whether made to brush gun specs to fill a a market niche or reconfigured from an existing service or stock hunting rifle, such guns are typically short in length, powerful enough to reliably take down medium to large size game and rugged enough to be tossed behind the truck seat. Few rifles fill this niche more admirably than the Mosin-Nagant 44, Model 44, a carbine-length warhorse of sturdy construction that fires the venerable... Did I say that right? Venerable? Venerable? Venerable, thank you. 7.62 by 54R cartridge. The Mosin-Nagat M44 carbine is a derivative of Russia's battle-tested 9130 rifle as the latter saw service in the hands of the Russian military from the 1890s through the Second World War. Through the gut-wrenching street-to-street urban combat of Stalingrad and other Soviet battles, the leadership saw the evolution of the battlefield from wide-open country to more confined city quarters, and as a result, recognized a need to adapt the primary service weapon to a shorter, handier platform. And that's probably why we went from M16, M14, Garands, and all that kind of stuff to the smaller versions and the smaller caliber for more rounds, lighter and, and shorter. Back to the article. Such is the genesis of... Such was the genesis of the Model 44, which was developed in late 1943 to fit the specific need. Patterned 
after the existing M38 carbine, but with the addition of a side-folding bayonet, the M44 was the first Russian carbine designed not for distribution to specialty rear echelon troops only, but to frontline troops as well. The primary differences between the M44 and its predecessor, the 9130, are the length of the barrel and the presence of the permanently mounted bayonet on the Model 44. While the 9130 is considered a behemoth by modern rifle standards, the M44 is substantially shorter. The extra heft on the shorter rifle is mainly due to the presence of the side-folding 15-inch cruciform bayonet. The M44 files the the world's oldest service cartridge still in use, the 7.62 by 54R round. Now, a lot of people call that the R for Russian, but the R stands not for Russian, but rather for rimmed. The round is powerful enough to easily take medium to large game, including large bears. The action of the Model 44 will be familiar with those accustomed to shooting Mausers of various designations as the bolt angle is the same 90 degrees. The M44 action is slick as silk. Chambering the rounds is smooth and with little practice, the firing rate of 10 rounds per minute would be easily attained. The short barrel makes the gun quick to shoulder, and the gun would make an ideal hog rifle, as the hunter can get the weapon in play quickly, and the sights are intuitive and easy to eyeball under pressure. Regarding ballistics, one can expect terminal performance similar to that of the 308 rifle. So if one is looking for a handy, quick-shouldering, powerful weapon for brush hunting or truck duty, the Mosin-Nagant Model 44 or 38 is an excellent value. It's durable, powerful, and affordable, and is a prototypical example of the brush gun category of carbine rifles. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that was a pretty... I mean, the article was much longer, but I just cut it down to the meaty parts, and it's true. It's an excellent rifle. I've got them all. i got all three. And... Those are one of the guns that, when the end of the world happens, that gun's going to still work. It's still going to work. It's got an excellent round. It feels great. And it looks awesome. It's a, uh, Trey, we were talking about this. The blending of wood and metal and how it looks and, and the colors they've got. And, and depending on some of the models, they had hexagon receivers and laminated stocks and all that. But you had fired one yourself, haven't you? Yeah. And, you know, there's just something about that, that meeting of of form and function because it is it is a tool it's not a, a fancy pretty dainty rifle mm-hmm. this this is a tool this is a weapon that people use well it's like you call yeah, it peasant rifle. rifle and the people the, the salt of the earth that that's the kind of gun this is it's reliable like they are it's uh gets the job done like they would mm-hmm. and just everything about it screams we're not fancy, but we'll get it done. That's right. Because you got, I mean, what, people coming from all over, like you said, from Russia, and the government's got to say, okay, uh, I've got to have something that these people can work that's simple. And that was it. The 9130 was the first one. That's the long the long barrel one. And it comes with a bayonet. And then the Model 38 was after that. And then the 44 in 1943 when they developed it, I guess, came out in 44. But excellent rifle, excellent round. The ballistics on that round are excellent. Look it up. Google it. You'll see what it's good. And it comes in all different... Um, bullet weights, soft point, full metal jacket, different makers, manufacturers, and um, it's just a really good all-around all gun. So if you want one, 
ANC can get it for you. ANC Firearms and Hide and Hammer. Give them a call at 254-983-4417. If you're still not sure what it looks like, go to aaronsgunshop.com. Go to the Facebook page. You'll see the picture of me holding the rifle there. And this is a great gun for a, a young guy just starting out. Doesn't want to spend a lot of money. It's not that expensive. Like the Takarov pistol I talked about last week. Excellent pistol. Well made. Excellent ballistics for a cheap price. Here you got a Mosin. You used to be able to get these Mosin rifles for like $60, okay? Because there was so many on the market. But as the market starts to dry up, obviously the price goes up, supply and demand. But the price is still good for a battle-proven rifle that has great ballistics, has a great action. It's a piece of art. And it's just a beautiful thing to hang up on the wall and actually use out in the field and can get the job done. So go to ANC Firearms in Heidenhammer. The phone number is 254-983-4417. Support them because they support this radio show. And without them and people like Rick Dodd and, and Small Engine and Twin Pistols, all these people, I couldn't be on the air. They have faith in me, so I have faith in you to go support the people who keep this show on the air. So, hey, Trey, let's take a break. And when we come back... Um, I'm probably going to give you some training videos that will go over the handling of weapons and how to put them on your body and holster. So we'll see you on the other side.